0: Amen. Pray along with me if you would. So heavenly Father, that is why we gather here this morning. Is to come to the fount of blessing and there drink deeply from the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. So as we continue to worship you in your word, Lord, I pray that to you would be the glory, that your son would be the point and that we would stay dependent upon Your Spirit. Open up our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from Your truth. In the power of Your Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray this together. So all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So as Jesus was walking along with His disciples, He asked them the question of life. Who do the people say that I am? And because of the way this message is going to go, I want to be sure that I get this out up front and often. Everyone here has to personally answer that question to go to heaven. So when he says, who do the people say that I am, and then he turns to them and he says, but who do... You say, he's making a point, he's saying, yes, there is a collective witness that is my people, but it's critical that you know the answer to that question personally. And so Peter gets it right, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus answers and says, you're right, Peter, and upon that rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is the rock he's building it upon? It is Peter's profession that he is the fulfillment of the promise. It is Peter's agreement with Jesus, without even knowing it, that God's plan from the beginning has, to, has been to have a people for himself. A people that he would reveal his glory to and a people that he would reveal his glory through. That has always been God's plan. Here's the great news. As the body of Christ, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are those people. We are those people. We are the people that God is revealing His glory to in His Spirit, in His Word, in the one and others that we're going to look at today, and He is the people that He is revealing His glory through. And that's what we're going to look at today. We need to get back to taking great care and importance with the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm not just talking about Cornerstone when I say church. I'm talking about God's people gathered is a huge deal to God. Huge deal to God. How do we know that? Well, one, in the passage we're going to look at today, two, I taught a message about the church back when we started this series in September. You can go online and you can look at it, download it, and listen to it if you want to watch it. It's just called The Church. It's September 9th, I think it was. But guys, we know that because even in the book of Revelation, when Jesus is coming again at his second advent, we see, you see almost no evidence in the book of Revelation of individuality in the glimpses of heaven that we get. In chapters 4 and 5, and then again in chapter 7, and then again in chapter 19, we get these glimpses of heaven, and it is all corporate. In fact, when Jesus comes again, who does he address in Revel- at the beginning of the book of Revelation? The churches. The churches in Laodicea and Philadelphia and Sardis. And he's addressing corporate people gathered together. It is a huge deal to God. In fact, at the end of those scenes in Revelation, in Revelation 19, it says this Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to God, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The who? us, the saints, that's the church. And so the church is a massive deal to God. His people gathered has always been a big deal to God. That's who he's coming back for, and because it matters massively to God, the church ought to matter massively to us. Sadly, researcher and author Thomas Rainer did a survey, and he in a book I read of his, and and he said this. 20 years ago, the faithful churchgoer went to church two to three times a week. 20 years ago. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Now, the faithful churchgoer, like somebody considered a faithful churchgoer, goes to church two or three times a month. And we have become okay with that as the people of Christ. And that is not okay to God. Now, guys, it already sounds like, okay, Doug's getting on a soapbox and he's going to start beating us up. I, I, I'm not, that's not my desire. There is no guilt here. Like, don't be thinking of the people that aren't here this morning, or that you know, maybe they're not even of this body, but you know that they say they're of another body, but you know, which is fine, if they're teaching the word, and that's why we pray for churches by name, there are lots of gospel preaching churches out there, Cornerstone has not cornered the market on what church ought to be, so we're not about growing our church, we're about growing the church, as long as it's the gospel church. But don't, don't be thinking of those people and, and, and okay, I need, to, I need to guilt them into going. Guys, we don't go to church out of guilt. We are the church because of God's grace. Right? That's it. In fact, if you're sitting here this morning or any morning because you feel like you have to, it is no different than what God says in Isaiah when he says that they, they honor me with their lips, with their coming to me at the, in the, at, the, at the altar at the temple, but their hearts are far from me. You are not getting a gold star just for being here this morning. Right? There is no like little check sheet for salvation from God. However, God is pleased that we are here today. Massively pleased that we are here today. So today's message is about, if you haven't figured it out, it's about the one another's, as Jeff read about in the toolkit. And today's question is, so what's the big deal about the one another's anyway? Why are the one another's such a big deal? Why do we stress gathering together as God's people so much? And we're going to look at the past, we're going to teach a text, we're not going to look at a topic, and we're going to look at a very commonly known kind of gathering passage well, uh, um, Hebrews 10 and 24 and 25, don't, don't forsake um, assembling together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as the day draws near. That's where we're going to end. And, and as I was preparing for this message at the beginning of my preparation, I thought, so how can I get through the first few verses so I can get to those really important gathering verses? And what God blew me away with and what I'm hoping you will join me with in my study is that this whole passage just screams the importance of the one of anothers. So open your Bibles up to Hebrews. It's towards the middle, It's a big book in your New Testament. It's towards the end of your New Testament. So um, you're going to go past all of Paul's letters, the Ian's um, or the Philippians Galatians um, Philippians, Colossians. you're going to get past all of those. you're going to get to Hebrews if you go to James, or you've probably gone too far, and we're going to pick it up in Hebrews 10, verse 19 as we look at the question, so what is the big deal about the one another's anyway? And the first point the writer of Hebrews is going to make is that we, together, have access. We, together, have access. Look at what he says here. He says in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Guys, did you know that you can draw near with confidence to the very throne of God? Guys, our God is not a gotcha God. Hear me. Your God is for you. How do we know? Just look at the cross, guys. Whenever you're thinking maybe God is like he's he's that that parent that is so sadly like I parented my daughters. Um, f- for most of their life, so performance-oriented that when you do good, he's happy, and when you do bad, he's not. Every time you have that thought, just look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Your God is for you. The cross proves it. And what he died to give you access to, he is not going to withhold from you. We, have, we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Now, I skipped something that I've pointed out a few times before. If you, if you look at what is the first word in our passage so far? Therefore. Every time we see therefore in the Bible, what do we ask? What is the therefore, therefore? Right? And it's generally therefore the stuff right above it. Guys, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, we don't know if it was Paul or not. Some think it was. The writer of Hebrews is speaking to a persecuted people. These are people, if you read the book of Hebrews, they're having their houses taken away from them because they're Christians. They're being imprisoned because they're Christians. And and yet, what do you find them doing before we get to this? Now, here's how you should be living your life. Kind of like last week it was. Here's the gospel, Romans 1 through 11. Therefore, present your body. Now, go do this in Romans 12. It's really similar here. Look at verse 10 of chapter 10, so right above where we are, 10.10. He says, by this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands ministering and offering time after time the sacrifices which can never take away their sin. So he's writing to that, he's saying, guys, in our world, remember this was written during the, during right after Jesus died, the, temple is still, the sacrifice, sacrifices of the temple are still going on. And he's saying, in our world right now, you see these priests over and over and over again offering a sacrifice for the sins of the people, and we just keep having to do it over and over and over again. Now, he keeps going. Verse 12. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, that's Jesus, sat down at the right hand of God waiting for From a time onward until his enemies will be be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. By one offering, once for all, it is finished at the cross. Once for all time, those who are present tense already has happened to us as believers in Jesus Christ. We are sanctified, set apart, a chosen race, a holy priesthood. What are the people in in this what is it what is the writer of Hebrews trying to remind the people to do? The same thing Paul was doing in Romans. Remember the gospel. Remember the victory that is already ours in Christ, which is what we're going to talk about next week, in next week's topic. He's reminding them that the old system was broken, but God, through the gospel, has fulfilled it in Jesus Christ. Don't diminish the sacrifice. That Jesus made on the cross by somehow not stepping into the access that is already ours. Right? Galatians 2 20 and 21, I think it is. Paul says, I don't nullify the grace of God. He's talking to them about why are we trying to, why are we so consumed in behavior? Is what Paul's telling them in Galatians. He says, don't nullify the grace of God because if your behavior could get you to heaven, and I'm paraphrasing, then Christ died for nothing. So he's like, just recognize what the cross is and step into the access that God has already given us through Jesus Christ. So there are two points I've already, so the first point is we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. The second thing is we need to remember the gospel, but there's a third thing here that really stuck out to me in this passage that I read read so far in these four verses, and it is this collectiveness that he's talking about. When you look at the passage and you see, he says, since we have confidence that, that he has inaugurated for us through the veil, verse 21, since we have a great high priest, verse 22, let us draw near. I don't want to get all geeky greeky on you, but I want you to understand something that God really hit me with. When, like that, that phrase in verse 19, since we have confidence, that's one word in Greek. That whole phrase, since we have confidence, is one word in Greek. And the way the Greek language works is depending on what the Holy Spirit... Now, this is important. This isn't just the writer of Hebrews going, I think I'm going to choose this word. The Holy Spirit of the living God is inspiring the writer of Hebrews to choose exactly this form of the word confidence, of, of drawing near with confidence. What is the form of that word? He could have said, since I have confidence... He could have said, since you have confidence. He could have said, since you and I have confidence. But the form of the word that he uses there, and not just in that one, but in every one of these plurals, is the plural you. It's y'all. It's you all. It's us all. It's we all. Together. It's it's a different, I know I'm not doing a great job of explaining it because you all kind of have this blank stare. he, He could have used a form of we that is you and I together. What he uses is the form of us and we that is us collectively can go. That's a very different conversation in, the, in what we're talking about here. Now, what I said a minute ago, what, what I said at the beginning of the message, and what I'll say over and over is, he is not saying that because you're in church, you're a Christian young people in this church, or old people that are sitting here in this church. Sitting here does not make you a Christian any different than like Larry Wright used to say, like being in your garage does not make you a car. Every one of us individually has to make a personal decision to accept the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ but there is, something, there is something supernatural about the collectiveness. And, and we collectively have a witness that is more powerful than we can be all by ourselves. He uses this form of the Greek words, you all, us all, we all, 13 times in seven verses. One of the things you learn in school when you're studying how to study the Bible is when an author of the Bible repeats himself over and over, that's the point. Thirteen times in seven verses, this author is saying, we, 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 we. It's important. That's important. And we need to pay attention to that. Guys, Christ didn't just die for you. He died for you all he died for us all. He died for his bride. And the the truth is, some of you are sitting here feeling like you're part of you all because you're sitting here. But unless you know Jesus, you can't be part of you all. But you can be sitting here feeling like it. And that's a scary place to be. There are I would venture to say millions of people that sit in church every Sunday that believe because they sit in church every Sunday they're going to go to heaven. And what the Bible says is that's just not true. What Jesus said was that's just not true. So let's get to what is true. How do we know? Like how do, First of all, how do I personally know? How do I know like, uh, if, I'm, if, 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 the, if I'm part of the you all, well, one, do you personally have a longing for Christ? Do you have a hunger for his word? Do you have a desire to pray? Do you want to be together in fellowship? By this, they will know that you are mine, Jesus said, John 13, 35, by your love for one another. Right? So, that, so, that's, so one is, do we have, do, personally, do we have that, that feeling? But then the other is, collectively, do people sense in us Together, when we gather, do they sense the presence of God? And guys, one of the things I, I love about this place and why I, I, I can't even imagine being anywhere else is because that's who you are. Collectively, you are the body of Christ. And not just because we're sitting here together on a Sunday between the hours of, of 9, 30, and 11, but because I hear, st- this, this has been our witness. People who have come to faith in Christ Through Cornerstone, have been invited, have been engaged with one on one outside by you guys, and as you guys have brought them here, and they have witnessed the collective one these these people that look different. They act. They they don't they don't all parent the same way. They don't. And yet they have this commonality. They're looking and going. I don't know. I I remember the day Rob Reed walked up to me and said, I don't know what you people have, but I want it. Guys, that was not me. That wasn't because he heard this great, it wasn't, I don't know what you were, I I don't really get what you were saying up there, but man, it sounded good. It wasn't that. It was, I am looking around this room, and it is supernaturally different, because we are different. And guys, that is the Holy Spirit working on our church, and, and although we don't want to be prideful in that, enjoy it. Soak it in. Right? Because, because that is a rare thing, even in the body of Christ. It is a rare thing. It is why we have things like, even um, these, and there's some on the connecting table, these little bumper sticker things that you can't see it, but the, I, the lighthouse image. It's the together in the gospel. Whether it's to put one on your car, or put like we have at home, we have them on our mirrors. It's I have one on, my, on the front of my Bible. It's to remind us that not only do I have a mandate to be a witness for Christ individually, we together can shine a lot brighter, be a lot stronger, be a witness for Him together like He has asked us to be. But let's remember that, that back to our passage, that we together together, have confidence. That's what we see in Revelation. Together, we are going to enter the throne room of God, and we have confidence that we can do that. Guys, you, have been, you and I have been invited into the banquet of a king. Don't waste your life here settling for mud pies, All right? That's what C.S. Lewis said. Eat the great food that has been offered to you through Jesus Christ. So one, what's so special about the one of One, we together have access. Two, we have assurance. Look at verse 23. It's our second point. We have assurance. He says, let us, again, there's that plural, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Without wavering. Guys, here's the, one, one. If, if you feel like your, your faith walk is wavering, it is always us. He never wavers. For he who promised is faithful. He will never leave you or forsake you, the writer of Hebrews tells us. Right? So, so one, we have, a, we, have, we have an assurance because what he began in you, Paul doesn't tell us in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will decide later if he's going to complete it in Christ Jesus. He says, he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. He is not a, well, you know what, yeah, I'm going to pull Doug out of the filth that he was in as a 20-something and get him walking on this path with me and then halfway down or halfway across the bridge, shove me off the end and go, you just messed up one too many times. I didn't get on the bridge as a 24-year-old because I did something good. I can't get off the bridge because I did something bad. That's our Savior. That is our assurance. I'm not going to spend too much time on this point because next week our topic is victory and assurance. But guys, part of our struggle as, as believers and just how we interrelate with each other, even in the church, is that we are seeking our assurance from so many places other than Jesus Christ. The fear of man. The, guys, so much of my life, even now, I haven't walked with the Lord for 25 years and, and, and almost 50 and you'd think I'd be over this and yet the fear of man, what I, what I mean with that is, is the appro- approval seeking from others still rears its ugly head in my life daily. And I would venture to guess it does in yours too. Which leads to most of our conflict most of our insecurities, because we're just not fully assured in what, in, that we are who he says we are. We are to hold fast to our hope. We're to hold fast to our hope. But where is our hope found? Our hope, look, at, look at, jump down to chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith in Christ is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the confident expectation that what he has done in your life, he will complete in the end. And if we would, if I would just live that way, if I would just live believing that, it would not only affect my relationship with him, because I would come to him boldly accessing the throne of grace that is mine, but it would affect my relationship with my wife and my daughters and with you guys, because I would be living in the freedom and the victory that is, that is, Ours, that I am assured is mine. But we don't live that way. We live in fear and worry and fretting. And well, what is this person? We're, we're, we're all like George Costanza from Seinfeld. Everybody has to like me. No. Someday, yes. In heaven, everybody will be your best friend. Everybody will love everything about you. But until then, that just isn't going to happen. And that's okay. Because I don't get my worth from what you think of me. I, I shouldn't get my worth from what you think of me. Sadly, I do sometimes. You do sometimes. I mentioned last week that like 86% of all Americans believe that, that being happy is the, is the ultimate pursuit of life. And that 91% of Americans believe that to find yourself, you need to look within yourself. The sad part was the church isn't very far off from that. Right, it was, it was, instead of 86%, it was 60% of those who attend church regularly, two or three times a month in our culture, say that the, the ultimate pursuit of man is happiness. Churchgoers saying that, 60%, two-thirds of all people attending church today, say that the ultimate pursuit of man is happiness guys what is the ultimate pursuit of man glorify god and enjoy him forever right that's the ultimate pursuit of man but 70 something percent it was i think it was 76 percent say in church say that to find yourself look within yourself the world has crept into our collective church our collective thinking and the world has crept into our individual thinking. And we have to constantly be renewing our minds with the truth of who God says we are. Right? That's the ultimate goal. Our hope is found in Christ alone. That's part of why, and I love how everything kind of was flowing together in the toolkit. We talked about forgiveness and just how we got to, get, we got to break free of that baggage of unforgiveness Last week we talked about renewing your mind and the power of renewing your mind with the truth of who you are in Christ, and one of those things, if you remember what Paul said, one of the secrets to to don't, to don't don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, if you remember one of the points last week that Paul makes in Romans is by serving in the church. Why? Because being together is one of the ways that God renews our mind. Because the world is preaching this anti-gospel message, this anti-Jesus message. We need to gather together so that we're reminded, like, wow, there is a God in heaven who loves us. He did send his son to die for us. I do have victory over all sin. Death no longer reigns in my body. I am a child of God. I have been fit together in the body of Christ. There are people in my life that love me. Like, we need that. Because the world is not telling us that. God's people have always been encouraged to be encouraged by looking at God's faithfulness to God's people. I'll say that again. God's people have always been encouraged to be encouraged by looking at God's faithfulness to God's people. In fact, we're not going to go there, but the writer, what does the writer of Hebrews say? In writer of Hebrews chapter 10, he's talking about what we're talking about, being together. Because of the gospel, be together as the body of Christ. Chapter 11, what is chapter 11 about? God's faithfulness to God's people. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, it just goes through all this. And then all of a sudden in chapter 12, what does he say? Therefore, since we have such a great... You can read it if you want. It's chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside all this junk in the world, this sin that so, so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance this race that is set before us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the shame of the cross. Right? we are to be encouraged by gathering, by looking at each other's lives, by, share, by What God is saying is, guys, come. Come and, come and come gather to experience me and see me and my children. Sing my songs of praise. Share your stories of my faith in your life. Be together just so that you can be reminded because together we are the body of Christ. Guys, this This is, I get the benches here are not comfortable. I get that this is just an elementary school cafeteria. It doesn't matter. This is a taste of heaven. This is as, guys, this is as close to heaven as you're going to be this week. Not You're like, yeah, and if you'd stop talking, I'd believe that. I, I get that. I, I'm not saying I'm not saying any I'm not saying because of what I'm saying. Like I'm not I'm not saying because our music is great or the teaching. I'm saying the body gathered is as close to heaven as you're gonna get. Why? Because what is heaven? The body gathered for all eternity together. So, the question is, what's so special about the one another's? One, we have access. Two, together, we have assurance. It assures us of the promises of God to be together. The last point is, we have and need one another. We have and need one another. And these are, the two, these are probably the two best-known verses in Hebrews, Verses 24 and 25 in this large book, he says, And let us, plural again, let us all together, y'all, let y'all consider how to stimulate y'all to love and good deeds, not forsaking your own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's talking about this idea of koinonia fellowship, that's what the Bible calls it, koinonia. It's, it's this idea of biblical fellowship, not just friendship. It's this idea of, of relationships centered around God, where the point of your relationship is God, where the, where the focus of your gathering is Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's not just talking about two people who, prof- who profess to be Christians or ten people who profess to be Christians getting together over some common um, hobby or interest. That's not bad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we have groups like that. But that's not what he's talking about here. When he says, so, so if, what you're, if, if what has started to happen in our church, because this is how the enemy works, and what, what has started to happen, and I am just mean cornerstone, I mean in the church, is we've said, well, we don't really need like the corporate church thing so much and elders and deacons and the things that, oh, by the way, are in the Bible and baptism and communion. We just, anywhere Christians are gathered is the church. That's simply not true. That is simply not biblical. It isn't. It doesn't mean you need 100 people in a room. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is it, it, it's what you're pointing at and how you're pointing there. To just be a bunch of Christians gathered together and you pray before you do your flag football game does not, as much as I enjoy our turkey bowl, Dan, and you do a great job, and it's a wonderful thing, Dan would not say, that's church. Because it's not. That's fellowship, it's friendship, it's fun. It's awesome. I'm glad we do it. It's a great opportunity to be a witness to people out in the community. But it is not what he's saying here when he says assemble together. He's talking about gathering together as a a local body of believers who are together pointing their focus to Jesus Christ. The enemy, Satan, because he hates the bride of Christ, has done so much to try to fragment the church. Some of it is bad. Like just just the inter-church squabbles, Right? It's part of why um, we pray for other churches by name. Jeff prayed for Faith Bible and for Trinity Bible and other churches by name because we're not competing with them. Jeff Dawkins' brother Chris came and taught here while I was on sabbatical. His church is two miles from here. It's an awesome church. He's an amazing pastor. And I pray for him all the time. I'm not I and Cornerstone is not in competition with Grace Church. We're in community with them. It's why we do things like 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 we're part of the Gospel Coalition which is just a group of like-minded churches that are trying to do things in the bi- like like in the valley that maybe individually as a church we couldn't do bring in speakers encourage people help the poor it's why we pray for New Hope Church in Costa Rica where our missionary Mark Cuzdis, one of the missionaries we support is it's why we pray for Camillo's church down in Mexico we're we're not saying that the church is only cornerstone but but what I am saying is that in every one of those contexts, and the pastors of every one of those churches we pray for would say, yeah, we want to be praying for Cornerstone, and they do, and we want to be praying for it. But we need to be encouraging our people that they need to be a committed member to a local body of believers. Because that's what's modeled in Scripture. The church is not smorgabobs. It isn't why I go here for the kids thing and I go here for the junior high thing and I go here for the, for the adult Sunday school and I go here for... Guys, it, it is not, it isn't that. We have turned that, we have made that what church is because we become so consumer oriented. It's part of why here we try to keep things so simple. Like we're not here to feed consumerism. We're here to be collectively in community. But that's the other way the enemies messed us up, Right? Is it's not only that he, does he create division among churches, he creates division within the church. By whispering lies and starting gossip. Like we want to talk about the big sins, but the, guys, the, the sin that destroys most churches is not infidelity of the senior pastor. That would destroy a church and should. It's gossip, it's slander. Those are the things that bring down churches. And I praise God that we're not a church that's that's oblivious to that, but we're not a church that feeds on that. But the enemy loves for division. Because as long as we're bickering with each other, two things are happening. One, we're not thinking about Jesus. And two, we're not being a corporate witness for him. The world will never believe that we are his if they don't sense the unity we have with each other. The church will never believe that we are his unless they sense the unity we have with each other. How do I know that's true? Because Jesus said so. I said it already. John 13, 35. By this they will know that you are mine, by your love for one another. 1 John 3, 11. This has been the commandment from the very beginning. What is it? Love one another. There's a list of one another's in your bulletin that I I made, just so you could be reminded of all the different ways that we can love one another, that we're commanded to love one another. I would encourage you to put that up on your mirror as well. Here's the problem. We tend to say this, God, the problem isn't between you and me. I love you with all my heart. I just don't like your church. I just don't like those people in that church over there so I'm going to stop going. And God says, that's impossible. You cannot love me and not love the people for whom my son died. I heard somebody say say it this way once. Don't, they were speaking like they were Jesus, don't tell me you love me and hate my bride. There is no place for the disconnected Christian. There is no place for the person that says, I love Jesus, I'm just not in to the one others, that is, that is a completely unbiblical concept. And so I would encourage you, you, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir, I know I'm, I, I, I'm not, I would encourage you, in grace, in love, in gentleness, continue to pray for and encourage those people in your life that you know fit that mold. When you're like, hey, where do you, where do you enjoy fellowship? And they're like, well, I'm just not really into that church thing. Well, do you love Jesus? Ah, I love Jesus. Man not according to the bible I want to say one more time before I wrap things up and we go into communion that 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 there is a personal salvific moment everyone here has to make a personal decision to accept the grace of god that's been offered to them through jesus christ and there is also a just just as strongly a command to step into the one another's of sweet fellowship together. Right. That, that is the dichotomy. And, and I don't mean to be offensive to anybody here. I don't mean to... I don't, I, but, but just being here does not make you part of y'all. And, and regard, whether here is here, or here is CCV, or here is Grace Church, or here is wherever it is, just being there does not make you part of y'all you've got to be born again and so as the music team comes up and we respond to what he has for us today i'll ask the question one more time what is the big deal about the one others? why is that such a big deal to god because it is christ died for his bride the church that's not an individual thing. That is a collective thing. And that is massively important. And the answer is because we remind, why is it such a big deal? It's because God knows how hard the world is and he knows that we remind each other of, the gr- of his grace. This is a glimpse and a taste of the grace of God in heaven. But this is not our home. Right? Hebrews tells us, that this place is not our home. We look forward to a heavenly homeland. But the only way you're going to go, if you're sitting here right now and you can hear my voice, the only way you're going is if you personally know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's not because you're sitting next to the person that does. If you do not know Jesus as Lord, if you have never just accepted the free gift of grace, don't leave here today without talking to me or somebody. Guys, if you're really his, you recognize that this is a taste of heaven. And that's why you're here this morning. That's why you chose to get up early on a beautiful day and come into this cafeteria because you're like, I want to taste the grace of God. I want to be among God's people. I want to be reminded of all the beauty and the goodness and all that is right and is found only in Jesus Christ. And so Lord, it is to that end that I pray that we would be a people reminded of the sweet goodness of sweet fellowship in Christ. That we would be a people that are so encouraging to one another that it would spur us on to love and good deeds. That, That as we go from here our fellowship would not end, it would just begin. That as we talk about You and all that You're doing in our lives, it would spur us on. We would find our encouragement. We would fix our hope. Lord, I pray that the truth that you professed to Peter 2,000 years ago, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I pray that that would be true in this place this morning, that the enemy would be far from us, that you would send Satan and his demons to hell where they belong, that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ would shine. In the hearts of everyone here. For the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbeliever that they would not behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Not here, Satan. Because of what you have done to us, because we are your people, your prized possession, may we proclaim your excellencies. May we shine your marvelous light in Jesus' name. Amen.